0: Wonderful to see you this morning. Uh, if we haven't been able to meet, my name is Brian. Um, love to get to know you better. Um, it's pretty cool. Devin, uh, during July Jubilee, he likes to pull out the uh, hip pasture stool. Um, I think you're supposed to do it with one leg up like this. But um, we'll see if I can stay, stay stationary. Uh, this is not, not my no- normal style. But I call it the Jubilee stool. Um, so we uh, have been working through uh, this, last, this year, we've been working through the uh, letter of Paul to the Ephesians, and so we're going to be back in that letter today. You have the text that we'll be talking about in your uh, handout, however there, uh, there will be some times when I'll make reference to a few verses that precede um, the verses that are in, in the handout. These are the ones that Devin talked about last week. So if you actually have a Bible or access to a Bible app, it would be good to also open to the passage there so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, But before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray, and then we can get started. Lord Jesus, I I ask that you would um, send your spirit, as the song said, and um, uh, let our chains be broken, Lord, the things that um, that twine around us and hold us back in our Christian life, those sins that we struggle so much to overcome. Lord, would this time together be a um, a watershed moment for us with those things, that you would, that you would show us a path forward um, to putting to death those sins and putting on um, the new life that you offer to us in Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name and relying <clears throat> in trust on his power. Amen. All right, so let's begin by reading the text. So this is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse 25. We're actually going to stop at uh, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God." So uh, many of you may be familiar with the uh, comedy skit um, in which Bob Newhart features uh, significantly, um, in which he is acting as a, as a therapist, as a counselor, and someone comes to him who is uh, dealing with a fear of being buried, buried alive in a box. And the, the lady comes, she sits down, <clears throat> and she says, yeah, I just, I just have this really, um, this fear of, of being buried alive in a box. And I just, I, it's terrible because I get on elevators and I can't do elevators. I, I really can't even be in houses, really anything boxy I can't do. And um, he listens to uh, her explanation. And then he says, you know, I have two words that I, I really want you to take to heart and and really try to put into practice in your life. And he leans across the desk and he says, stop it. <laughs> She's like, what? Stop it. You don't want to go through life being afraid of being buried alive in a box, do you? Then stop it. She's says, like, I, don't, I don't really understand what, you, uh, what you're saying. He's like, yeah. You know, every time people come in here, and I say that, they tell me they don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> but if you would just take this to heart, uh, you could, you could really, uh, you could really improve. So the you know the skip goes on and, and so forth. <clears throat> but here's my here's my question, all right? How do we actually experience transformation in our lives? You know, when we have so I have sins in my life that I feel like are you know, like weeds that I, that I try to kill off and they just come popping back up again, right? And I get discouraged about those sins. I feel like, how, what, what does it really take for me to truly become new as a person, right? To put away sin, to put on righteousness in my life. Is it as simple as just stopping it? And if it's not, Well, if it is, that seems like, it seems unlikely, right? Because I've tried that. Uh, And if it's not, well, what do we actually do, right? This is kind of the question that I'm coming to this with. And one of the reasons I'm coming to this with that question is because when I read this text, um, it reads uncomfortably like, stop it. Right? He says, put away falsehood. Uh, You know, don't steal, (laughs) don't say bad stuff, so on and so forth, right? Is that really a recipe for genuine transformation? Is there a context in which that could be a recipe for genuine transformation? As much as we might be uncomfortable with it, Paul's list here looks suspiciously like a list of do's and don'ts. And my question is, in what gospel context does such a list make any sense as a means for authentic change? Is it actually possible that don't do that, do this, could be a path toward transformation for us? So before we actually dive into this list, um, I want to talk through, just from the immediate context of these verses, some realities, three realities that I think can situate the do's and don'ts of this list in such a way that actually they can be meaningful for us. Okay. So here's the first, um, I guess we could say, contextualizing reality. Paul's commands to don't do X and do Y are grounded in an ontological truth about us as believers. Now what that means is they're grounded in a truth about our very being. Transformation. The truth that I'm talking about, the truth about our being as believers, is the truth that actually we've been talking about the whole time uh, we've been walking through Ephesians, right? Does anyone? All right, I don't. This mic is for recording. I'm not amplified. That means you can talk back to me. Okay? Does anyone have some sense of what the what? Um, what the biggest truth about believers is that Paul wants to communicate in Ephesians based on our past uh, reading of Ephesians. What do you think? What, what, what ideas might you throw out there? Yes? Okay. Okay. So, faith in Jesus is death. Right? To your inner okay, yeah, there's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah. It kind seems like, at least in this the practices the our as well, so a okay. we and our Right right okay uh-huh so yeah uh-huh. Uh, that we're united with christ. that's what i was looking for excellent <laughs> excellent yeah we've been talking about this right what's the, oh yeah i'll repeat it uh, that we are united with christ right we've talked about this at various points along the way that um, you know paul wants us to have this what we've called an apocalyptic vision or a pulling back of the veil On the reality of our uh, of our existence, right, and that pulling back of the veil reveals that we have actually become one with Jesus, right. And in chapter two, he talks about how we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, right, walking according to the rhythms of the age, and um, you know, enslaved to our desires and to the and to the uh, spiritual powers of the world but that God actually united us with Christ so that we were raised up with him, right, and seated with him in the heavenly dimensions so that now we actually exist in a new way, right? We exist as part of Christ's body, as one with Christ himself. And so now he's actually getting to the, to the application of this, right? He's saying what this reality means is <clears throat> that we now have power to live in a new way. So uh, this is before the verses on your handout, but just before. He says, <clears throat> he says you know, you should not walk as the Gentiles walk. Um, but, he says in verse 20, um, this is not the way you learn Christ, that is, to walk in that way. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, what were you taught to do? To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now the point I want to make here is that the self-language is not wrong when it says old self, new self. That's a legitimate way of expressing this, but I want to make sure we recognize the larger sense of what he's saying here. What he's not saying is that you as an individual um, have had a change of uh, personal identity, right? So that you are now, you know, <clears throat> putting off the... Uh, the old you and now you're gonna walk as like a new you like this is the new me right I you know I wear different clothes and so forth and I'm trying to you know get a restart on life okay that's not what he's saying what he's saying is actually that there are two um, we could imagine them two bodies that we participate that we can participate in there is an old literally the word here is man or human okay There's an old human, and there's a new human. And the old human is um, the body that we could, uh, okay, how do we express this? I think there are a lot of images of Adam here, okay? When it talks about um, this old human being corrupted uh, according to the desires that deceive, right? You hear kind of Genesis uh, language there. Where Adam uh, and Eve and their desires, um, they were deceived by the serpent to give in to their desires, right? And so there's this solidarity with the old man. In a sense, we all exist kind of in Adam, right? In this corrupted, uh, corrupted body. But he says, what actually has happened to us is that we have been joined to a new body. That is the body of Christ. The new human is Jesus, right? And Jesus is made up not only of himself, but of all who believe, right? As Paul has worked out in this letter, um, we are, in a sense, Jesus, in the sense that we are united to him, and to use his language, we are his fullness, right? So when Paul says to put off the old self and put on the new self, what he means is that we should actually enact the new reality about ourselves, right? that we are one with Jesus, that we participate in the new human who has been raised from death to life. Does that make sense? So what this means is, um, uh, if we're working with a context where we're just trying to make a new you, right, this is the new me, that's not going to work when it comes to a list of do's and don'ts, right? I'm going to be the new me now. I'm going to not do that, and I'm going to do this. The problem with that is there's no power in that. There's no reality behind it. But, when we take Paul for what he's actually saying, that is that we have been united to the new human, Jesus, right, raised from death to life, and then we approach a list of do's and don'ts like he gives us, there's actually power for us to do them, right? Because we're actually enacting something that is really true about ourselves, <clears throat> that, we don't ha- that we don't have to walk in our former manner of life, that we can, in fa- fact, walk in newness of life. Do you see that? So... One way to think about this is, uh, you know, it's it's often been said that there's a kind of, like, gospel logic of uh, an indicative and imperative, okay? Maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. But it's a helpful way of thinking, especially in Ephesians, about what's going on. What Paul does in the beginning of Ephesians is he gives us an indicative. An indicative is a statement about truth, right? An indicative, like, grammatically is, like, uh, You know, she is walking, (laughs) right? That's versus an imperative, which is walk, right? So what Paul gives us at the beginning is an indicative. This is true of us. We have been united to Christ. We have been raised to newness of life. But then the logic goes after he gives us the indicative, he gives us the imperative, right? Which is you are new, now live new, right? And it's with that kind of gospel logic that we actually have power for a list of do and do's and don'ts to be a genuinely effective means of transformation for us. All right, the second, so that was the first kind of grounding reality for this list. The second contextualizing reality is <clears throat> we prepare for the do's and don'ts or the put-offs and put-ons of this list by renewing our minds. Okay, Do Do you see that in that verse that I just read? He says, You have learned to put off your old self, this is verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Okay, Do you see that piece of groundwork or preparation that is needed for the, for the putting on of the new self or the, or the participation in the new human, right? It is a step of renewing our minds. Devin pointed out last week how this uh, whole section really presents a dichotomy between lies and truth. Um, it's a, you can see how he says, for example, the old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. Do you see deceitful or lying, right? Our desires or our passions can, can lie to us. But we put on the new self, and this is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness or holiness, or righteousness and holiness generated by truth. Okay? So it's a, it's a lie versus truth kind of situation that we're dealing with. So, um, this is an essential piece of preparation for us to engage in when we are trying to pursue the transformation, the indicative of put off and put on. We can't, uh, we won't have the power to sustainably put on the life of righteousness that God calls us to if we allow our minds to be filled with lies about ourselves, and about the world around us, right? We have to engage in the struggle of replacing those lies with truth. And the world and the the flesh, right, our passions and the devil, they're very good at filling our minds with lies, making our sins seem reasonable to us, right? For example, before the moment or in the moment, you know, man, my anger, you know, really is justified because I've had a hard day, right? That's deceitful talk, (laughs) right? That's not true. Or after your uh, moment of anger, oh, man, I always do that. I never can seem to respond to that situation uh, in the right way. I don't think I ever will be able to. That's also a lie, right? We have to work very hard at filling our minds with truth. As I was thinking about this section, I was actually thinking, you know, I, I've been mulling over recently, like what is, the, um, what is the place of like counseling and therapy in the Christian life, right? And it struck me that this might be a good way of contextualizing it, right? That um, counseling and therapy can be, a, can be a, a helpful means for us to lay the groundwork of renewing our mind that then leads to or allows us to take the steps, the action steps, of putting off and putting on. Right? It can help us, for example, to um, come to a, a better self-understanding of maybe the past experiences or experiences of our life that have um, you know, maybe put us in a position to respond in certain ways in certain situations. Right? And that self-understanding can be incredibly helpful for us as we navigate you know, the struggles and trials of our life. It's also important, though, to remember that that's contextualized, right? That the pursuit of self-understanding can't become the end goal, right? We can't confuse that self-understanding with transformation. Instead, we need to use that self-understanding as a groundwork for then the ultimate goal and the thing that, that we have been taught to do in Christ, as he says here, which is to actually engage our will and to say no to sin and to put on righteousness, right? So that's the second contextualizing in reality. We said first that it is, <clears throat> that the list of do's and don'ts works because we know this truth about ourselves, that we are actually one with Christ and there's power in that. And then second, um, we've said that it needs the preparation of putting away lies and believing truth, right? And then third, I would say that this list of do's and don'ts is possible for us to follow as a genuine means of transformation, because it is a response to grace and to the grace and example that God has shown us. Okay? So I'm going to show you this in our passage as well. In four 4:32, um, uh, <clears throat> He says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, you see the move he's making there. He's saying, first, you should forgive other people, you should walk in compassion and love with other people. But one of the things that makes that possible for us is that it is a response to the love and compassion that we have been shown by God and the forgiveness that we have been shown by God through Christ. Um, you know, probably the, the classic story of this from literature is the story from, uh, pardon my French, Les Miserables. There's our reason why people call it Les Mis, right? Um, in this story, um, a, a person, a man named Jean Valjean, is convicted of uh, to many years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread for his family. He serves these years of hard labor. He eventually is sent out, but he has a passport of a convict. right? And after this, it's almost impossible for him to get a job or to do anything useful with his life. And so he becomes very desperate until one night he is taken in by a a priest who shows him some kindness, feeds him a meal, and lets him sleep in his house. In the middle of the night, Jean Valjean steals their uh, their silverware and runs away. And in the morning, there's a knock at the door. And the priest opens the door, and the police have brought Jean Valjean back. Uh, they've caught him and brought him back. And, of course, this will mean the end of his life, right? He will be sent back to the prisons and, uh, and probably never get out again. But when the policemen say, this man has stolen your silverware, the priest says, oh, no, I gave him the silverware. And he says, you know what? John, you forgot the candlesticks. And he brings them the candlesticks out and he gives them those as well. And of course, he's shocked. Had no idea that he would be shown such kindness by this priest. And as the priest hands him the, the, the candlesticks, he says, With these candlesticks, I have bought your soul for God. And the story goes on that his life is completely transformed by this uh, act of kindness, right? That he then becomes empowered to live a life of kindness himself, right? A life of loving, forgiving, and caring for others. And so this illustrates, I think, the power, the transforming power of God's love for us, right? The grace that he's shown us, our then following, the do's and don'ts of the list, becomes the following of response to that. Okay. So all three of these, these realities that we see in this text, they actually bring us to the, to the surprising point. Okay? The point of decision. <laughs> uh, it's both surprising to me and encouraging. And I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of weeks is that after all this groundwork has been laid and these realities are, are sinking into our, into our minds, we come to the point where what we have to do is engage our will and make a decision to not sin, but instead to do what's right. <laughs> and so you get to the end and you're like, oh shoot, I actually have to stop it, <laughs> right, it's not just stop it though with nothing else, it's, it's all of this other stuff, and it's the power to stop it, right, and to put on something else, but in the end, you know, with God working through us in some mysterious way, we have to say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this. But what's encouraging about that, all right, it's, it's, that's like a little uncomfortable, but it's also encouraging because what the Bible tells us is that we actually have the power to do that, which is amazing, right? Taking that step, making that decision, is actually an act of faith. It's an affirmation of the almost unbelievable truth that there is power in Christ to change. When we say, I will not do this, I will do that, we simultaneously say, I am indeed raised with Christ. And he has given me the power for transformation. And I'm becoming convinced that much of the sin that I struggle to kill off in my life remains because of fear and unbelief. In the moment of trial, I'm too afraid to take the blind leap of trust in Christ's power to actually transform me in that decision? Do you believe that that kind of power is available to you? So, now, very briefly, we get to the list. <laughs> I just want to say, I want to, I want to read each thing he says and give it about a minute apiece just to walk through so we remember the things that he tells us to put off and put on, and then we'll be done, okay? So first he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, I'm struck here by the, I'm just going to make a little comment on each one, I'm struck here by the fact that he says, we are members of each other, and that's why we need to put away falsehood, right? This is the body language, right? Somebody's a hand, somebody's a a head, we're connected. And any falsehood that you allow to remain in your life, right? Hiding uh, sin, putting on a show for social gain, Uh, saying what people want to hear, right? Any of that kind of falsehood actually is falsehood that the whole body has to live with, right? And it it will affect the body. So don't lie, but speak the truth. Next he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this is a little strange, right? Be angry and do not sin? Is he telling me to be angry? (laughs) Well, maybe yes and no. I think what he's saying is uh, there are two kinds of anger, right? There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. And it is possible to be angry, but it's also very possible, uh, I mean righteously, but it's also possible to be angry and sin. Right, And so you need to be very careful with the emotion of anger that you feel. Because it can very quickly lead you into sin. Um, Paul is especially concerned here with the kind of festering anger, what we might call a fungal anger, <laughs> that can develop right and grow into malice and hatred toward each other. Um, In my life, that's why he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Don't leave that anger to grow into something bigger. In my life, I found that we can often cover up that truly fungal anger with the language of uh, feeling hurt. Right? We just need to be careful. Right? Examine your emotions and make sure that you're not letting those things boil over, right, into something that is really harmful to the body. And in fact, he says, giving into that festering anger can actually give room for the devil to work in your community. Right? He says, give no opportunity to the devil in this context. Next he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, don't steal, give, right? Put off, put on. What this is, is a shift from a a take to a give mentality. And as I was thinking about this and its application in my life, I think, Maybe many of us don't think, oh, yeah, I I really struggle with stealing, you know. Uh, I mean, maybe some of you do, but that's not maybe something that immediately comes to many of our minds. But so maybe the putting off is not so hard of stealing, but the putting on of the give mentality. That's something, especially when it comes, look at what he says. He says, you're going to work so that you can give to those in need. That's a really, that's a really interesting way of thinking about work, right? <laughs> um, you know, do we view our work and our income as actually a means to meet others' needs or as something else? Next he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, our words are so powerful, right? Um, the Proverbs say, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Uh, we often talk about having a filter, or someone has no filter, or someone has a filter, right? <clears throat> Paul actually thinks a little bit in terms of a filter here, But notice what the filter is. He says, let only those words, as are good for building up, come out of your mouth, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a good filter, right? Thinking in terms of not just, oh, how do I come off when I talk, or how much am I talking, or whatever, you know. What should you think of? Is my talking meeting needs? Is it building up? Is it fitting the moment? And is it giving grace? Is it giving like a gift to the person who hears? Um, And then finally, since we've already done kind of the last portion of this, we'll talk about, he says, do not grieve, this is verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now I'll admit this one's a little confusing to me. What does he mean here? First, it's kind of shocking that he says that you can make the Holy Spirit sad. (laughs) You can grieve the Holy Spirit, which kind of adds some sense of personality, right? That the Holy Spirit is actually a person that can become sad by, by our actions. But what would it mean for us to grieve the Holy Spirit? What, what kind of actions would make that happen? I'd have to think, because he says this phrase, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, that it would have something to do with that, right? Um, I imagine the sealing is something like a, you know, like a will, maybe, that's written on, a, written on a scroll, rolled up, and then you put the wax seal and stamp on it, right? One day, that is going to be um, you know, turned in and redeemed for whatever that will you know, bequeaths to the person. Right? But the seal is a kind of authentication that um, it hasn't been tampered with, and this is the right person who should receive it. And so perhaps we could think of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as a kind of authenticating thing, right? that um, when we come to the end, and you know, the redemption, uh, the new creation, the resurrection of our bodies, those things that are involved in that redemption that he's talking about are actually our inheritance and, and our receiving into that inheritance is authenticated by the work of the spirit through our, throughout our lives, right? That we are shown to be the people who really are uh, united with Christ and, and, um, uh, and members of what God is doing, right? So in this light, it would seem that grieving the Holy Spirit might mean, in, uh, might mean contradicting his authenticating work, right? Allowing sin to dominate us or overcome us rather than walking in the power of the union with Christ that he applies to our lives. All right. We can bring it to a close here, but if there's anything that I want you to remember from this teaching, it's that um, we have these realities about ourselves, about our union with Christ, about the grace that we've received and respond to, about the renewing of our mind as groundwork, that all lead us to the point, right? The point where we actually have the power to say no to sin and yes to sin righteousness and I would encourage you see if you can take that step of faith this week right in that, in that moment of struggle or trial try to step out on that power and see if you can say no and say yes to what God is calling to you alright let's pray <clears throat> Lord Jesus again we, um, we come to you we know that we have no strength on our own to <clears throat> break free of, the, uh, of the, the powers that bind us, the powers of our own desires, the powers of, of um, the spiritual forces of the world, Lord, but that you have broken into our lives and have offered us that power. And now this indicative of our union with Christ, our newness of life is true of us. And we just ask now that you would help us to, to step out in faith on the, uh, in response to the imperative that we, would, that we would put off and put on the newness that you offer us. Amen. All right, so we're going to enter a little time of response now where we um, can sing um, praise to God. We can pray. We have our Uh, prayer team over here who would love to pray for you about anything going on in your life. And we also are going to eat the Lord's Supper. Um, This is um, something that we do every week, and this week we're going to be doing it individually. So you can just take, as we're in our response time, take the elements and and, um, eat them at whatever time you wish. Um, Before we move into our time of singing, though, I'm going to read a prayer over um, over the Lord's Supper. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the sacraments as precious gifts that uniquely communicate your presence among us. As we participate in the Lord's Supper with your church around the world today, we remember the Lord Jesus in both the cup and the bread. First, concerning the cup, we thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills as wheat, and was gathered together and became one. So let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever.